The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Seen some of their ads or read some publications about them. It's called the, the He Gets Us campaign. They they ran some ads during the, the Super Bowl, and the, the rumor is that the initial expenditure for this uh, media campaign is $100 million. Their commercials, their videos, they've been obviously seen by millions of people through the Super Bowl. Their, their, um, their videos on, on YouTube are, are reaching... Um, millions of, of plays, and they're, they're videos that are highlighting the, the issues that plague humanity. They highlight things like poverty and immigration and hunger. And they play these images out, these scenes out with a, a voiceover narration over these modern-day people with these modern-day problems with the tagline, he gets us. And the, the, the implication there is that the, the he is Jesus. He gets us. Their sort of tagline within the campaign is, whatever you are facing, he has faced too. Now, I don't this morning make any kind of statement for or against this organization or the means through which they're promoting Christ and Christianity or the biblical nature of their message. None of of that. That's not my point. I do believe that the core of their message is true, though, right? Whatever you are facing, he has faced it too. Now, I could have saved them $100 million because all they had to do was read Hebrews chapter 2. This is what Hebrews chapter 2 is about. It's about the truth that a shared experience produces a deep solidarity. A shared experience produces a deep solidarity. This section is laying out for us the argument for Jesus becoming human. It's laying out for us the, the biblical argument and the necessity of the incarnation, that it was right and it was fitting. That's the the opening. It was right, it was fitting for Christ, who had dwelled for all of eternity with um, equality with God, as God, with God. And then, at the right time, it was right, it was fitting for Him to come to earth, being completely human, And that it was right for him in his humanity to suffer. And that because of the humanity of Jesus, because of his incarnation, that there is great benefit both for us and granted to us. There is much gain because Christ has become like us. That's this section. It's been broken out for us, anyway, the way we've walked through, and three primary benefits. The first 
of which we looked together two weeks ago, that Jesus became like us so that we could become like Him. We would be made sanctified sons. That's verses 11, 12, and 13. And then last week, we looked together at another benefit, that Jesus became like us, shared humanity to destroy death and deliver humanity. Those are verses 14 and 15. And then this morning, verses 16 through 18, that Jesus became like us to become our sympathetic high priest. Read with me Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not to angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The writer of Hebrews is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. We don't know exactly who, we don't know exactly where, we don't know exactly when, but we do know that these are brothers and sisters who have come to faith in Christ Jesus from Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to them, urging them not to return back into um, a, a gospelless system of beliefs, not back into a system of works, not back into Judaism, but to remain in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the author lays out these arguments for them in a, in a way that they would certainly understand because he begins to, to make arguments from the Old Testament, highlighting um, people and offices in the Old Testament, showing us that those people and those offices were types and shadows of Christ and that Jesus Christ is better than all of those. He's better than all of those. And so... In these verses, he does this with the office of priest. The office of priest. These are, these are Jews who would have been heavily steeped in the Old Testament. They would have understood the office of priest that was instituted by God in the Old Testament. The priest would be a person who would come before God on behalf of the people of God to offer sacrifice... To God. And the whole point of the sacrifice was so that the wrath of God on sin and the sinner would be appeased. You see, our sin, our rebellion, demands judgment. It rightly induces the wrath of God on sin and the guilty sinner. 
And so God put in place a, a man who would serve God's people and serve God as their mediator between a holy God and sinful people. And this priest would go before the presence of God and offer to God a guilt sacrifice so that the wrath of God would be appeased. The, the penalty, the punishment of sin is death. There must be blood shed to appease the wrath of God. And so this priest would be the mediator between God and his people. But this raises some very important questions for us. Questions like, how can a priest who himself is sinful come before God? The answer to that would be he would make sacrifice for himself and his own sin before he went to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. But this problem still remains. He's still coming before God to make sacrifice for himself. How can the sinful priest come before a holy God? It also raises the question that clearly that the blood of animals, the blood of bulls, and the blood of goats, goats only produce a temporary appeasement of the wrath of God. They're only temporarily effective. That these sacrifices only delay the just wrath of God. And so sacrifice had to be continually made to God on behalf of the people. Because these sacrifices were only temporarily effective. What is abundantly clear throughout the Old Testament sacrificial system is that there would need to be both a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice. If we are to be saved eternally from the guilt and punishment of our sin, we needed something more. And what we see now in the New Testament and in the book of Hebrews is that this perfect priest, who himself is the perfect sacrifice, is Jesus Christ. And we see that he became like us in order to become our perfect and sympathetic high priest. Jesus is the better priest. That is the central topic of the book of Hebrews, I believe. Jesus is the better priest. And that will be developed as we move along over and over and over and over again over the next 15 years while we work through the book of Hebrews. You will hear it over and over and over. Jesus is the better priest. Well, this morning as we explore that in these verses, here's how we will move through if you're a note taker. Hopefully it helps. Three points from the text this morning. The first is the priest. The second is the propitiation. And the third is the provider. Verse 16. For surely it is not to angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The writer of Hebrews has used you know, angelic imagery and angelic arguments multiple times now throughout 
the opening of this letter. In, in, a, in a Hebrew's mind, the angel was the highest, most glorified creature um, other than God himself. And here, this unbelievable truth is that it was not to angels that Christ helps. Christ did not become like the angels to help the angels. No, He became like the offspring of Abraham to help the offspring of Abraham. That God's care is deeper for humanity. Is there a need for redemption in the angelic world? Certainly there is. There are condemned, eternally condemned fallen angels who have no possibility for redemption because Christ did not become like the angels to redeem the angels. Christ became like the offspring of Abraham to help the offspring of Abraham. On the surface, this is that Jesus came as a Jew. He was Jewish. That Jesus came as a Jew, as the offspring of Abraham, to redeem the Jews. To redeem the Jews. That's, that's, that's the surface truth here. But what we learn is that it is not just by blood or lineage um, that we are children of Abraham. It's not just those who have an ancestral claim to Abraham. It's not just to ethnic Jews that God's redemptive work in Christ Jesus was given. No. All who have the faith of Abraham are children of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7, 8, and 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So when the writer of Hebrews says, For surely it was not angels that he helps, but the he helps the offspring of Abraham. This, this is the writer of Hebrews saying it is not just to those who are ethnically Jewish, but it is to those who are of the same faith of Abraham that receive the benefits of Christ Jesus' redemption. That He became like humanity to redeem humanity, all of humanity who put their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there are a couple of things implied in this text that we need to understand. And the first is that we need help, right? It was not the angels that he helps, but the children of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham that he helps. The, the implication in the text then is that there is a great need, that we need help. Here's another way to say that. We are, therefore, helpless. If you are in need of help, then you, yourself, you are helpless. You are dependent on another. We are helpless. What did we need help with? What are we helpless to do? We are helpless to redeem ourselves. We need help with 
redemption, that Christ came to redeem us because we are helpless to redeem ourselves. That's the implication in verse 16. That the children of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, humanity is in desperate need of help because left to our own devices, we are helpless to redeem ourselves. And to receive the benefit of Christ's work on our behalf, we must first realize that we are in great need of help. If you want to receive the help offered by Christ Jesus, then you must understand first and foremost that you are not sufficient to save yourself. That there is a sin problem that is far too great for a sinner to solve. This word help here is it's an interesting word. It means to lay hold of or to seize, or to rescue from peril. It's almost like we're drowning in an ocean, crushed by waves, helpless, hopeless, dependent on a God who reaches down and saves us. Not because of our good work, not because of our ability to stay afloat, but because of His good grace in His work of Christ Jesus. This is what Christ has done. He came to help. Who has He came to help? This is the other implication. He has come to help those who are the children of Abraham. That is, those who have faith. Church, what's that, what that means is that this is not a universal redemption. I wish it was. I wish it was. I wish it was that God would redeem every human who's ever lived. But that is not the case. That His help, His redemption is given to those who have faith. That's what makes you an offspring of Abraham. It's faith. That it's to those who have faith that He helps. And so, in order to help us, to lay hold of us, the text tells us that He became like us in order to become our perfect priest. Verse 17, Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect. He had to be made like His brothers in every respect single respect. Here's what that means. That means in Christ Jesus, there was full, complete, total humanity. He didn't just have the appearance of man. He was fully human. He was made like us in every single respect. That means he was hungry that he was thirsty, he was overcome with fatigue, he was in need of sleep. It means he was taught. It means he loved. It means he was astonished. He was glad. He was angry. He was grieved. He was troubled. 
He exercised faith. He read the scriptures. He prayed. He cried. What we see in the Gospels is all of these things and more. Christ Jesus became just like us in every respect, taking on humanity and experiencing the fullness of its highs and its lows. That He stepped into the brokenness created by our sin. Why? The writer continues, he to be made like his brothers in every respect so that, that's the why, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He became like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful, a merciful high priest, merciful That is compassionate. That is slow to anger. It's an interesting word, really only used twice in the New Testament here and in the Beatitudes. Um, But in the uh, Septuagint Greek Old Old Testament, it's used uh, a host of times. And it is used most often to describe the very nature of God. Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 86, 15, But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the mercy of God, that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Christ. He became human so that he could become our high priest who is compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He became like us so that he might become a merciful and faithful, faithful high priest. He is faithful. Christ is faithful. He is faithful to the law, right? He kept the law perfectly. He did what no other human priest could ever do. Faithfully kept every jot and tittle of every command. He was faithful to the law. He was faithful to His purpose to save. He has been faithful to us. His faithfulness means He is everlasting. His faithfulness means He is trustworthy. This is what the Old Testament priest could not be. They could not be merciful. An Old Testament priest could not be merciful. Why? Because they were in great need of mercy. They were in great need of the mercy of God. You cannot be in need of mercy and be merciful. They could not be faithful because they were sinful. No, we needed a better high priest. One who could be merciful because he was in no need of mercy. And one who could be faithful in all respects because he was without sin. Christ is the better high priest. He became like us so that he could become for us the priest that we need. Merciful and faithful. He became our high priest, the one 
who has come to stand between God and man. The mediator, the one to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people of God. But see, his sacrifice was totally different, wasn't it? Because his sacrifice is a propitiation. It's a propitiation. Now, this is a word that is uh, absolutely and completely biblical in nature. He came like us so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. His sacrifice is different because his sacrifice is, the the word here would be propitious. Now, what is propitiation? Propitiation is the act of appeasing God's wrath. Propitiation is to appease the anger of God. Okay, now, this this is not a very well-received notion today, is it? Because we don't want to think about, society doesn't want to talk about, they don't want to see, they don't want to understand an angry God. Instead, what we want to do is Focus on the love of God and construct for ourselves a God that is only loving. Now, God is love, all right? The Scriptures teach us His character, His nature is love. We we would not understand love if it was not for Him being love. God is love. But that is not all that He is. And if we're going to understand God rightly, then we have to understand that God is more than just loving. That God has a righteous anger towards both sin and the sinner. You see, we've instructed this narrative that we like to follow for ourselves, and that is that we are to hate the sin but not the sinner. I understand that sentiment. It certainly is um, helpful. But we must be careful not to apply that to God. God has just wrath and anger on both sin and the sinner. You can't read the Scriptures honestly and not walk away with that reality. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. There is a righteous anger towards both sin and sinner. In the Old Testament, there are more than 20 different words used to express God's wrath totaling more than 580 different occurrences in the Old Testament. God has a righteous anger, a just wrath 
to be poured out on both sin and the sinner. What was John the Baptist's message? His message was that a warning of the wrath to come. To repent because there was a coming wrath. Jesus himself warns of the wrath of God. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not uh, obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Remains. It means it's already there. It's already there. That the wrath of God is already on the sin and the sinner. That what we need is for that wrath to be taken away. The Apostle John in the Revelation unfolds the coming wrath of God. God is a God of righteous and just wrath with anger towards both sin and the sinner. And it is precisely that truth that makes the love of God all the more amazing. Would it be amazing Would God's love poured out towards us in Christ Jesus, would it have the depth and the magnitude of the unbelievable awe that God would choose to love us if we didn't understand that we were rightly before Him condemned for an eternity as he exercises wrath upon us, it makes his love for us all the more remarkable. It highlights the good news of the gospel all the more. We deserve the wrath of God, the righteous anger of God on us because of our sin. But he loved us so much that he became like us in order to make a sacrifice for us of propitiation. This sacrifice of Christ to remove, to appease the wrath of God. While the idea of propitiation deals with the anger of God being appeased, it springs forth out of the love of God. In Christ, because of God's love for us, God put Him forward to pay the debt of our sin, to satisfy the wrath of God. On Christ Jesus, God's anger was appeased because it was poured out on Him. In our place, the guilt of sin and the sinner was removed. For all of eternity, His anger, His wrath was appeased on and in Christ Jesus. There was a propitious work done that was not able to be accomplished in the blood of bulls and goats. God's righteous anger on sin was just held off and held off and held off, and held off until Christ gave His sinless life in the place of sinners so that God's full wrath and anger would be appeased. That is propitiation. 
This is why Christ is the better high priest. Because he didn't have to make a temporary atonement for his own sin. He was sinless. Like an Old Testament priest would have to do. And because he was sinless, yet offered his own body as a sacrifice, God's wrath and his anger has been appeased. So his effect, the effect of his sacrifice is not temporary, it is eternal. God's wrath has eternally been appeased in Christ Jesus for whom the offspring of Abraham, those who have faith. Christ is the great high priest because he became the sacrifice of propitiation. No Old Testament priest could do that. Only Christ Jesus can do that. And now, He is the propitious priest who is able to provide help in our fight with sin. This is verse 18. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. Here's the picture. It was right, it was fitting for Christ to become like his brothers in every respect so that he would become our merciful, faithful high priest to offer to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And in His humanity, in His sacrifice, He Himself suffered when tempted in the same respects that we suffer when tempted so that now we have a high priest who is able to help those who are being tempted. The God Himself... The God of all things lowered Himself, taking on humanity and with it all the temptations of sin. That Christ, while on earth, had the same temptations we have. I would argue that the temptations that Christ suffered are greater than any temptation we would suffer under. The reason being because... I'm pretty positive that none of you have risen to the level to where you have been tempted by the devil himself. The devil is one being that is only at one place at one time. He is not behind every doorknob. He is not God. He is not omnipresent. And uh, chances are he has not spent his time tempting you. You are probably tempted certainly most often by your own sinful flesh and desires, the lust of your eyes, the desires of life. There may be opportunities and points to where we might be tempted by some spiritual activity that we don't see, some spiritual warfare, but nothing rises to the level of Christ Jesus himself after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan himself. The level of temptation we've never experienced. And yet he was faithful. 
Neither have we ever been offered the kind of things that he was offered. The devil's never come to us and taken us up on a high mountain. Said, look out. I'll give you all of this. None of us have ever had the opportunity to be spared the kinds of things that Christ endured. Christ was tempted to take another route. To not suffer and become this propitiation. Yet he was faithful. In his perfect suffering, he remained faithful. And now, as our great high priest, he is both sinless and able to provide help to the sinner because he himself has been tempted yet has remained without sin. Do you see the level of help that Christ Jesus is able to offer us? He is able to offer us a help in our temptation because he has been tempted in all the ways we've been tempted, yet remained without sin. Here's the, just the, the common sense way to think about this. Who is it that we would want help from? All right, let's take our, our finances for example. Would you want financial help from someone who is constantly... Broke. As broke as the Ten Commandments. Just broke. Is that who you want your financial help from? No. I had, I had a friend, Bobby. He would give me financial advice. And I would listen to Bobby. Because Bobby wasn't broke. And Bobby would say, you need to get your financial advice from people who know what they're doing and have proved it. You don't... You don't, you don't get your financial advice from somebody that's broke. Who do we want our help from when we need help? We want our help from people who have experienced what we've experienced, yet has done it better than we can do it, right? That's Christ Jesus. He has experienced all that we have experienced, but He did it better. He has experienced all of the temptations of sin that we have experienced, yet He never failed, not even once. Not in His actions or in the inclinations of His heart. Perfectly holy. Christ has been there, and He made it through. And He is now our high priest, a perfectly sinless high priest, who is able to help us in our own temptations. Because He's been like us in every respect. Now, how is it that He offers this help for us in our temptations? Well, remember what this, this help word means. It means to lay hold of. How does He help us? Well, the first way he's, He helps us in our temptations is He, he lays hold of us. Has he laid hold of your heart? When Christ Jesus takes hold of a life, there is change. He creates a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. He lays hold of us. And then he guides us. He directs us. 
He empowers us through His Holy Spirit, giving us His Holy Spirit. He enlightens our path through His Word. In Christ Jesus, there is everlasting help in our temptations because He Himself has been tempted in every respect as we have been tempted, yet He has remained faithful and without sin. And He lives today as our great high priest, the mediator between God and man, who has offered a sacrifice greater than any sacrifice an Old Testament priest could ever offer, a sacrifice of His very own sinless life to appease the righteous anger of God God on our behalf and he stands there now as our high priest who is able to help us in our temptations. What unbelievable grace. What unbelievable glory. What good news the gospel brings. The gospel tells us that Jesus is the better priest because His priestly work is far better than any priest that's come before. They were type and they were shadow. There was no substance. But at the right time, in the fullness of time, it was right and fitting for God to put forward His Son, taking on full humanity, becoming like us, so that He could be made our perfect propitious, providing high priest forever, forever. That's what God offers in Christ Jesus. But He only offers it to the offspring of Abraham, to those who have come in faith to Christ Jesus admitting their need for help because their sin has condemned them under the righteous wrath and judgment of God and a faith in Christ Jesus, a better high priest, an atoning work that appeases the wrath of God and redeems sinful humanity to be made right before God again and who now lives to intercede on our behalf and to help us in our temptations. What good news the gospel is. Father, would you help us see all of the glorious facets of the gospel, all of the things you have provided in Christ Jesus our Lord who was made like us in every respect to become our sympathetic high priest who has been tempted in every respect as we have been tempted yet would remain without sin and who now offers help to the children of Abraham, by faith. God, by your spirit and through your word, providing us all we need for life and godliness. So God, may we honor you with our lives and find in you the very help we need. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.